I guess it was it 2012 or 2013 when the uh the um the Oculus dev kit came out. I I bought the very first round of it with my savings from uh working under the table at a GameStop. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I was like 13 or 14. No, no, I'd be like 14 years old and I was uh yeah, I, I I went to my local GameStop and I begged for a job and they're like, that's illegal. I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, what if I only cleaned? Like, I won't touch the register. And uh, yeah, started doing that, got that headset. And I mean, from there on, it was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. Yeah. Do you remember the first experience you tried on the uh, early headset? Yep. Yep, uh, it was the desert roller coaster, and then that house that everyone remembers with the paintings in it, and like that mm. uh, cut off field. Um, and then after that, it was uh, I think it was Oklahoma City University created a Dragon VR sim that was already an Unreal Engine game, but you could uh, control the direction of the dragon with it um, and float through the crowds, uh, clouds, and uh, pick up eggs and stuff. <laughs> I, I frivolently emailed them asking if I could do music for it, and they're like, "There's some stupid tech demo, dude. We don't care." I'm like, "Oh, oh yeah, yeah, sure. I, okay, I was really impressed." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I think other than that, though, it was um after that it was all visual experiences and, and shows and movies and um all my friends begging me to let them try porn on it and just telling them to go away. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. um, yeah, those early headsets, that 480p monstrosity, giant block on my face. It was incredible. It only um, it only did three DOF, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and, crazy. Uh, what was it? I think it was a 90 uh, FOB. Jeez. Yeah, but. I posted on Facebook that night. I was like, all right, that, there's like another world in here. Like, this is incredible. And um, I, I think everyone I talked to about it just thought it was nuts till they tried it. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I imagine. Well, like, it would be like in the early days of like computers where it's like this box, right? And mm -hmm. you can like type into it. And like I can't imagine trying to come to grips with like what the implications of this little box are. Yeah. And trying to tell people. <laughs> but like not being able to describe it because like it's one of those things that you, you know you have to try it before oh, yeah. it's fully understood. Um And I was just I was just exiting high school at the time too, so my, my vocabulary to explain something that profound to my tiny brain was um just not handling it. I mean, even at 23, when I try to talk to my boomer family about it, it's just like, they they just laugh. Yeah. But what is this? I Another think what's, dimension? What is this thing? You, you said you'd describe it as another dimension. Yeah, no, that's what, like, that's what they were asking. Oh, yeah, they like, respond with. So oh you work God, in another yes. dimension or something? Like, yeah, technically, oh, yeah, yeah. it kind of is. Like, whatever. Yeah, but better, because yeah. it's, you know, tangible. Yeah. Ish. <laughs> I think what made VR finally like sell itself to me fully when I, I thought, okay, this is going to be the biggest 
like step forward in gaming we will see in our generation um was when i saw robo recall mm. it um what pax 2016 they had the demo up and when i saw what they were able to do um with the motion controls um and the really great idea because i think they were the one of the first ones to do the point and click move um movement for how to get around the map yeah I, I i think when it released publicly i probably put in 200 hours within a week <laughs> or sorry the first month i mean not a week holy crap um <laughs> that would be physically impossible um i think it was yeah first month i had over 200 hours on it yeah yeah it's a good it's like very arcadey i feel like one of the first kind of yeah replayable games yeah, I got my brother-in-law to try it. Who's a um, he's a construction consultant. Uh, never touched video games in his life, and he he was like, he looked at um, my sister and was like, "Honey, we gotta get one of these." <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't put it down. Uh, so, yeah. was it when did you start getting into um, composing music and whatnot? Is it always? Been? I started. Com- I started composing music in 2013 uh, for local jazz ensembles and for my church, uh, anything I could get my hands on at the time. Um, and I luckily lived next to the drummer for Delta Ray, which is like one of the biggest folk rock bands right now. Um, and he taught me everything I knew about percussion um, and about mixing and as for working in a digital space since like 2009, I've been working with uh, Ableton and FL Studios on my computer um, that I got for Christmas one year. And so as a kid, I was messing with electronic music and I hated YouTube tutorials. I thought they were the stupidest thing on the planet and I still think they are. Um, I discourage anyone from ever going into music by going on YouTube tutorials. I think buying a physical manual and reading it is like, the best way to maintain your own creativity while still learning. Really? And, oh, big time. Why is that? And, um, because when you learn a skill set from someone else via YouTube, you're going to learn the way they like to do it. And more often than not, they just teach you what to do, but not why you do it. Um, they'll tell you, oh, if you turn this knob, it'll make the wub sound. And it's like, oh, great. Now I can make dubstep. And it's like, how I learned to make dubstep was how to control three oscillators at certain frequencies with certain wavelengths that create this tone. And I learned all the the math and science behind it. So then I had way more thorough understanding of what it was to make music. And so I had the ability to make stuff much farther outside the box. Um, and that develops your own sound. If you take someone else's, a way of doing things you're not going to be able to know how to do it yourself from the ground up and you'll never be original you'll just be a copy of a copy of a copy interesting yeah it's it's like people who only study one painter their whole life instead of branching out they'll they'll you'll constantly paint like picasso <laughs> yeah have you found that to be the case because like um i wonder if that's specifically related to sound programs because i've maybe 
Yeah, I think there's. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a mix. I feel like, because um, mm-hmm. at least with more visual stuff, I'd say YouTube tutorials can be super helpful in terms of getting familiar with a program. Again, I'm not speaking for Ableton or like audio based. Oh, stuff. sure. But um, yeah, but there is, like you said, there's something to be said for actually like digging into the manuals, especially with like game engines oh, yeah. and like understanding yeah. why these, these <clears throat> knobs are, or these levers are doing different things. Um, I just think it's such, um, it's so much more natural to just have, it's like if you're going in to build something physically with your hands, like a carpenter. I would much rather understand all my tools and then let my imagination run wild with the tools rather than learn this like sprint step way to get from A to B in a project that I want to do. I, I want to have all the knowledge I can that if tomorrow I woke up and I wanted to build a birdhouse, I don't have to look up a YouTube tutorial because I learned how to use my tools. Mm-hmm. I just, I think that's so much more important, especially as someone I feel, um, by the time I actually started in music in 2015, um, I, 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 what was it in 2013, really, I, I put my first track out on a couple of YouTube channels and they blew up and it, it made me really sad. I, I didn't, I, um, I had been making music for four years at that point and I never released any of it. And my friend came over and was like, wow, we're like, where can I listen to this? And I was like, I just come over, I guess. Cause I would just burn it on a CD and put it in my room. And like, I, I just made music for myself. I wasn't trying to make anything other was wanted to listen to, or the, the point was always, I was just having fun jamming out and in my room. And, um, I, I got a, my friends like, well, at least put it on SoundCloud so I can listen to it. So I was like, yeah, sure. So my friends can hear it. And, I, I put it up there and I got a bunch of emails immediately saying like, Hey, this is, you know, Mr. Sound buff on YouTube. Like, can we pro your music on our channel? I'm like, <laughs> uh, okay. And it, it got like a hundred thousand listens within a week. And I asked them to take it down because all of the comments were just like, how do I put it? Um, like, Oh, great. Another generic track or, uh, this sounds so odd. Like the melodies don't make sense. And at, at like 15 years old, I was like, I hate this. <laughs> I don't, I don't want people like 15, 16 years old. I was like, I, I don't, I hate this. And I, I actually, I reached out to someone who was my age at the time making music for monster cat called Mr. Fiji Ouija. Who's like one of the biggest Nero track composers and chill step uh, producers like in the world now. And I was like, why, why do I can't handle this? And he replied to me in like a comment. He's like, well then don't. And I was like, you're right. <laughs> so I, I stopped, I stopped putting out my music. And in 2015, when I started having to pay bills, I was like, okay, I'm going to start putting this out again. Because <laughs> I need money. <laughs> and yeah, my whole motivation for entering like the, the workforce really or actually putting out any music was just money i don't i don't really want anyone to listen to my music but i need to live so yeah i i made this horrible game with a guy from britain called the assault and the necrospire um it's terrible 
I never finished it. I don't even know what the final level looks like, and yet I wrote all the music for it. Um, <laughs> so bad saying it out loud. <laughs> hey, at least you're yeah. honest. <laughs> yeah, and it was supposed to be like a really good roguelite, similar to the original Binding of Isaac, and the guy had not a single creative bone in his body and uh, limited all the items to really boring stuff and. <laughs> Yeah, it, it the soundtrack's good. I st- I think it still holds up. It's um kind of repetitive and after that I just started doing indie games and mobile games and anything I could get my hands on via uh Reddit posts, I would post just my stuff in my my website and be like, "Please hire me. I need food." Um yeah. Yeah. I think the weirdest turn of events in my career was when I started doing YouTuber commissions. Um, cause YouTubers are weird. Like you are, you know, <laughs> you're weird. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, it's a weird line of work. Yeah. I mean, you spend a week in, in darkness. You're weird. <laughs> <laughs> Not the first. Fair. And yeah, and I started doing the commissions and I, I realized like, all oh, these guys are messed up. Like <laughs> I, I, I had, um, I had one person I did a commission for that was like, they did, uh, was it anim- psychological anime reviews where they'd like go into like psychology behind anime portrayals of human emotions and also just like film and other books they would read, they'd review, but they were popular for their anime stuff. And like tears into working with him, I'm like, all right, this guy's got some like serious issues. Like he's, he's messed up. And, I'm still making music for him, and then out of the blue, one day he deletes everything, his channel, his Facebook, his Twitter, and he leaves behind some weird cryptic message, and I get freaked out, so I call the police, because I still have receipts from how he'd pay me for my work, and I'm like, you go to his house, like, I'm worried, and they they found him bleeding out in his bathtub and saved him. Oh, no. It was, yeah, it was nuts. And and then just this last week, his videos got relisted out of nowhere. So I think he's back. I, I emailed him. He hates me. He hates that I saved him. So I don't know if he'll, he probably won't respond, but yeah. And I, I had a lot of YouTube run-ins like that. I mean, I went to conventions and people that I'd worked with for like years would be like incredibly rude and like scared of me and like because they're all socially awkward and don't get out much and just make youtube content all day and <laughs> yeah yeah, that was a mistake <laughs> yeah that's quite an introduction to uh to working with a youtuber i feel like... i lived with two of them at one point too yeah it's nuts yeah um so yeah my, my career was really just like a small bit into games and then YouTube and streamers. And then I, I did film for a year and it was awful. I wrote 432 songs in a year and only sold two of them. Um, be that as it may, it, it paid for a down payment on a home and enough to eat. So, I mean like two songs at a film place is pretty good, but yeah, I imagine that was, uh, I- no, I imagine that's like um sounds grueling, but gotta be a crash course and just like pushing out stuff, not not waiting exactly. for inspiration. Oh yeah, I learned 
a stupid amount while working there. It was a really smart thing for me to do, but yeah, as a musician, it was soul crushing to only have two people hear my songs out of 430 pieces. And now I legally don't even own those pieces. Mm. It's just like, Oh, and of course now they're getting, trying to get me to come back to that, but with way, 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 way better pay this time. So I might take it. I don't know, but yeah, now that I've been doing games for the last two years and I've, I've freaking loved it. Holy crap. Um, I've been writing them my favorite stuff I've ever written in my whole life for games. Um, now that I'm doing that, I don't want to go back. <laughs> it's it's like what they said in Indie Game the movie. It's um, video games are the ultimate art form in interactivity. Mm-hmm. What what is the difference between like if someone brings you a project and one project is film, the other is a game? How is your creative process different? It all stems from the fact that a movie is about 50% music, maybe even a bit more. Muting a movie or just having the dialogue and what's on screen makes it feel so incredibly empty and unenjoyable. It's insane uh, for most films, um, unless it's super well-directed. Um, and then everything can kind of speak for itself. Um, and then there's games, which is like about a third music because you've got what you're interacting with. You've got what's going on on screen and then you've got audio. And so I've always thought of scoring a film as long as the writing's good because I, I jumped off a lot of projects realizing how horrible the writing for the film was. Um, specifically speaking, uh, Lady and the Tramp, for example. Um, I didn't do that one. The writing was horrible for the remake. Um, we were handling all the, a lot of the, or we weren't specifically, but we were on the project to handle a lot of the, um, Disney remakes hmm. and the writing for a lot of them was really bad. So I just, I didn't do them, but whereas for a video game and like when I'm thinking about writing for that, I'm thinking about making the game better with the music as for a film, I'm thinking about how I can help like embellish what's already there um because games are super open to interpretation because many of them don't have a ton of cutscenes and dialogue um like kingdom hearts for example has like eight hours of dialogue and cutscenes in like the third game like that game wouldn't need music to make it more understandable or impactful even though the music that music embellishes that game um, it, it hits home what's already being uh, like displayed to the player as emotions, right? Um, but you take something like a roguelite or Zelda, where there's like no talking for the most part, or cutscenes, and like the music is the only emotional explanation you have. Um, especially in like Breath of the Wild. Uh, there's so much that the piano does with the orchestra in that game that conveys how the player can get the feel about something. Um, and it really controls your emotions because the second something goes into some deep C7 minor key uh, and like hits some low notes and like scares you, <laughs> like it's got you by the cojones there. Mm. You're, 
you're in for whatever the game wants you to be into. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, my, my process really just is for games. I'm, I'm looking to help fill gaps. And in a film, I'm helping embellish. Hmm. Do you, like, so when you're working on a game, do you try to come up with a certain theme that is based on the visuals? Or do you rely more on, like, the writing or what's happening in the scene? I, I'd say gameplay is the biggest way something should be written for. Um, the visuals kind of set up what kind of instruments you want to use. What What's visually going on is... is not what the melody or the writing sounds like, but more so what instruments I should be applying. Hmm. Um, so Minecraft took the easy route and only did piano because like organically piano can really be set to any environment and it'll work. Um, but you get a game like, what's a really popular one that makes, I guess Risk of Rain um, is a great one for this as well as, oh man, Half-Life. There you go. That's a great one. Uh, or Portal. Those games use a lot of uh, late 80s synthesizers by Roland, and that specific sound is super metallic, and those games are so industrial and um, dystopian in nature that that sound fits perfect, but the melodies are like stupid different, even though it's Hello? Please stand by for technical difficulties. <laughs> Mic check. There we go. Cool. Yep. <clears throat> um, I remember where I left off. If you want to just continue there. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, so, when applying um, writing for a game um, and I have to try to think of like what melodies to write, it it always starts and stems from what the game looks like to grab your um, instruments. Um, for example, the Half-Life and Portal series all use a late 1980s Roland synthesizer that sounds very metallic. And both those environments in like headcanons online are supposed to be the same world because it's, you know, Valve's trilogies and all, well, unfinished trilogies. <laughs> but, um, essentially, uh, you glean what instruments to use from the atmosphere and the visuals and the gameplay and or heavy narrative that's set is more so where your melodies come from. Um, but there's such a vast majority of games that are so interpretive to the player. It's not something that specifically is very like obvious, especially games like Risk of Rain and uh, Parts of Binding of Isaac and Enter the Gungeon and Crypt of the Necadancer, there's so many amazing uh, games like, oh, Fez is a great one, where so much of the emotion and story and feeling in the games is abstract, and it's meant to be an experience you get to interpret for yourself emotionally. And so I believe it's the most important job in games is for the music to help connect the player to the game. Because um, if, if not... And I feel like this is a really awful thing that happens nowadays. People turn off the audio in a game and they just, um, they listen to Spotify or, or a podcast. Then now the game's just a bunch of numbers. It's just, how do I get this 
action at the best time and be the best at this game and you know cheese this combat and you know that happens with dark souls and a lot of other third person games that are really action heavy is people start to forget that there's any emotional connectivity to the game and now it's just something they try to min max i'll admit i'm one of those people but only when it comes to mmos <laughs> like, oh yeah. yeah those grinds well mmos yeah mmos are grindy as hell i don't i don't yeah. think anyone to try to be emotionally invested in something for eight hours straight while killing goblins. <laughs> Good God. Yeah. No, one thing that's always though interested me about, uh, at least from the outside, writing for games is it seems, and correct me if I'm wrong, it seems there's sort of this difference where I imagine you have like a set amount of time, like a, a music piece could be, two minutes and 30 seconds right but then mm -hmm. if you're talking about like an rpg where you're in a specific area how do you extend that song do you like write a background track and then it's sort of extended mm -hmm. in whatever scene the player's in um so for example right now i'm working on a game called grim where we have uh in our game design document when we're writing the game they give me a rough estimate of how long it takes a player to get through a level and then a small clip of the level being played, every character in it, and then a description of what's going on. And that's what I have to write my music off of for that section. And so for that 40 to 45 minute section where you're going through a maze, I wrote an eight minute piece. Um, and I wrote it in six sections because in the maze there are six puzzles. And so every one of those sections is loopable and sounds very good um with like the aesthetic it's going for for the part of the puzzle and when that part of the puzzle is completed it blends into the next section of the song uh, after two bars uh in the music and you get your little sound effect and um then for more open-ended things like there's a part where you're just exploring until you start the main quest line it takes about two hours um i'll write pieces in these large chunks and once something in the game provides a mood change of any sort it blends to the next and so in reality the songs are like six seven minutes normally um but then i've emotionally chained together each piece to where they can be looped on their own in small small portions um that way it, it kind of breathes properly with the level um rather than it just sounding like you got a, a song on loop mm. That yeah. So, yeah, it's it's large sections that you learn how to piece together. Huh. Do you prefer like writing for something like that, or doing like a when you have a set length of a song? They're so different that I don't. I can't really say I compare them. Um, I I just wrote a sing a single this week. I'll be putting out in a week or two. That is super reliant on timing because there's a monologue over the whole piece um about uh what it's like to feel crazy due to trauma and i need points in that song to hit with the words and so that's like a whole monster in itself like getting something to fit perfectly to a monologue versus the exact opposite end of a spectrum which is the person controls the timing of the music hmm. um and i i'd say I, I they're so different i like both of them i can say that um 
I, I don't really prefer one over the other, but I feel like there's a lot less stress to be making something that is um based around uh, that kind of back and forth and breathing of a game. Um, but it's a lot harder because then you have to write for something that's being interpreted solely by a player's actions and you have to kind of guess what people are going to play like. Are they just going to rush through my game or are they going to be, you know, taking their sweet time? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I kind of, um, I've never found myself musically inclined, but I always like kind of finding common ground in, um, you know, creative endeavors. I think there's similarities and, and differences. Um, whether we're talking about like visual arts or game design, music. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of like you mentioned, there's uh, the only way I can relate it is like sometimes in my line of work, I'm doing like, um, you know, like a animation and it's a one-off <laughs> thing or in yeah. another part I'm doing like a, a live streaming template where it's like these things are mm-hmm. in the same line, but they're not, they, they serve different functions the way an individual goes about creating them is different um yeah it's interesting it's like a you know the different the different tools in the artist tool belt it's true yeah and what what kind of tools do you say are your um your most used in in terms of like um linking with your animation uh like programs yeah um honestly like i feel like i live in Adobe, like Adobe software. Yeah. It was like imprinted yeah. in my mind. Uh, yeah. How, uh, do you like Adobe? Like, do you, does that company suit you or do you just, is that totally disconnected? Do you just use the program and not think about it? Yeah. I pretty much just use the program. I mean, I'm not, mm-hmm. I, um, I try not to dig too deep into <laughs> companies unless they're like really, you know, pushing the line mm-hmm. on something. Um, I am, I've tried to, be a bit of an advocate for that, that if you use someone's stuff, you should reach out to them because, God, I, image line tech support must hate me because they, they use um, <laughs> the people who made FL Studios. And I, I probably sent them over 200 emails over the last year or two. I'll just, I'll just send them QOL things and shortcuts they should be adding. And, hey, you know, if you use this at a sample rate of blank, like some arbitrary error that would make no sense to someone. <laughs> but like some kid out there is hitting that error. And I know it. And I used to be that kid. So I was like, I'm like, God, please fix this. <laughs> yeah. Um, and with this like huge backlog of error stuff, I'm I'm just going to start putting out a bunch of videos on YouTube here soon on how to fix said errors. Because God, I remember just like, sweating over that book my dad bought me on how to use the program and it not explaining to me how to fix a sample rate issue I was having so I wasn't getting the sound out I wanted and that was like death to me I'm like if I can't make what I want I'm failing <laughs> yeah oh definitely man you'll you I'm sure you'd save a lot of young souls searching for the answer in the dead of night yeah. on google there's nothing better than like coming across a forum post or something of like a specific problem. Yeah. I remember almost two, no, a year and four months ago today. I remember it's always, it's on the 28th of the month when it happened, <laughs> but uh, it's so painful. That's why <laughs> I, every time it's the 28th of every month, I'm like, Oh, 
that's the day I figured that out in my program. <laughs> um, I did not realize the master track in my baseline for FL Studios, for, so it outputs my final sound for my song, had a limiter on it, which would condense my volume and make it sound like super, like non-open and, 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 and like full of sound. And for years I had been using that without noticing. <laughs> and when I finally figured out the issue, I, I went on a two hour walk and cried. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. yeah my, my wife's looking at me right now. She's like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the best feeling when it's also the simultaneously worst feeling when it's like such a simple solution, but like such a, a great difference. You know? No, like one oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. So, Ooh, man, but I guess with games, especially with VR and music, if you want to talk about that for a bit, um, like I think music's bad for VR. Oh yeah, I think it's really bad. I say, um, like VR experiences are so much better with just good sound uh, design rather than music. Hmm. Um. I, and I mean for traditional first-person games. Um, but if you really make music a big part of your game, similar to uh, Robo Recall, made it a big junction, like the music was just absolutely 70s baseline bumping. It was awesome. And it, and it accelerates your experience. That, that's great. But for a game that would be first-person, such as Tomb Raider or something like Breath of the Wild or something like that, it's awful. I think I think music treats those games horribly. I I I don't, I don't think there should be music in games like that. As as much as I hate to say it, um, unless it's actually being physically played by something in the game or being emitted somewhere within the 3D space with radial listening, like to where like proximity distance from said object or person would allow the music to be heard. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. But overworld music in VR, I don't think is right unless it's arcadey. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Like the context-based music, where it's almost like in reality, where you would be hearing music. Um, yeah. In the game. Otherwise, it's the most fourth wall-breaking crap. Yeah, I think. Um, what's the game? Uh, slipping my mind right now. Boneworks. Mm-hmm. I think. Uh, my Yeah, I think they implemented music pretty well. But it mm-hmm. is, yeah, it's a, it's a tough, uh, it's, a, it's a shaky ground. It can break the wall. And I mean, like, they have to, like, either the, the character has to be physically seen putting in a headset or having a radio on his hip or something. It's got to be radial. Yeah. Um, You want to hear something really sad? Sure. I, I almost got to work with Beat Saber and Fortnite and declined both. Oh, really? <laughs> Not knowing how huge they were gonna be. Oh uh, yeah, happens. <laughs> I went to PAX. No, not PAX. RTX, twenty seventeen, and got to try out Fortnite before it was released. And they're like, "Yeah, would you like to possibly work on this project?" And I was like, "Ah, that sucked." <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was so bad. And twenty eighteen, I, I got an email from the Beat Saber guys, and I'm like, "I'm okay." It- <clears throat> Oh. You win some, you lose some. Yeah. 
That's a whole lot of losing, though. <laughs> that's, that's cool. So, so one last question, uh, mm-hmm. or, or or topic rather, sure, is sure. it's to me it's really interesting to see the 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 big shift that's been happening uh, with the music industry, and really how it's almost unnecessary, I think, for uh, an artist to really like you know, sign with a record label now where you can you know, individually distribute and, and build up an audience mm. on self. It, it, what's your opinion on that? So I wish labels were bigger. Again, I miss them, honestly, because now there's such an individualistic competitive market for someone to actually make a living doing music that they have to be like, there's so much peer pressure to make something that'll be, viral online rather than exactly and you know exactly making what you want people feel so pressured to make something that's so ingenuine just because they know a a way to success is just to be picked up on a lot of views and there's a lot of labels out there that are completely happy with you making exactly what you want and then they just try their best to get it out there for you like sure there's like industry leading um record labels that are what i call the machine and I know a lot of other people refer to it as that, just like the ones that want you to pump out as much as possible and it it be whatever they think is best. But there really are a lot of record labels out there that'll support you as an artist doing exactly what you want, and then they just try their best to promote it for you. Huh. So it's damaging the, the individual artists. Um, for the internet, because there's only so many people that can listen to music. It's It's not like there's enough people to find someone like a vague O2 that guy makes really awesome tracks but it's the stuff so weird that people only listen to some of the tracks for the novelty of some of the cool samples and stuff but not a lot of people actually dig into his discography uh ray brown who's basically joji but better I'm I'm joking by the way when I when I say that I don't think anyone's better than anyone in music. Um I think a concept of a song being good or bad is so stupid. There's it's music's completely interpretation. There's nothing objective about music. Um And so yeah, I just feel like now there's like this hierarchy. I mean, god, what's that YouTuber's name? He pissed me off on Twitter yesterday. Hold on. I'm about to go off on this there's someone uh named jacob that does and i'm sure you've seen him he does the um live mixes where he has his shirt off he's got the big mustache and he dances with his microphone and makes music Uh, mixes he's always in the top of reddit the loop guy yeah the loop guy yeah yeah yeah. so someone posted yesterday uh, on twitter um you know it's wild this was andrew young by the way um you know, it's wild. Pretty much the entire music community can agree on who's the best living musician right now. It's not even close. I don't even have to say who it is. And y'all are going to comment it. And the whole thread was about Jacob. And I'm like, I thought the post was ironic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no one's better than anyone. It, it's Music is such a just individual subjective subject. It's God, I hate anyone trying to say something's good or bad or better with music i think that's such bs i just it bothers me i think 
the best music is white noise and brown noise. Yeah, yeah. and it really could be. <laughs> it really could. Um, I mean, God, for a while, my favorite kind of music was um was the the dystopian industrial stuff that actually doesn't use notes. It's all microtones, so mm. it floats in between notes constantly and never creates a proper key like i loved stuff like that for a long time and for most people it just sounds like noise um but it's like to me that's the best music it's completely subjective mm-hmm. you know yeah what do you what do you think about like the um i guess the difference between like mainstream music like a a pop song that's almost like generated to be catchy versus uh, a different genre of music you think it's all you're all for i got i got two two very bold statements that whenever i hear someone say hey don't you like the song i told them no they then respond with well you gotta admit it's catchy i'm like well yeah so is the flu (laughs) it's like um elements in music are um neurologically going to stick like that's not it has nothing to do if a song is good or bad there there's melodies and things that we've heard in so many other pieces that we will remember them whether we liked the song or not and people are very confused with something that gets stuck in your head and actually liking it um and I worked in that machine of making stuff that would get stuck in people's heads for a little bit and creating music that was meant to get listens, but not actually express anything where the lyrics are as vague as humanly possible. So teenagers can attribute to them and, you know, uh, project um, where all the instruments were safe picks that didn't go anywhere outside the box and things. And when, when you make music for the, for the point of it getting listens or to make like, Music should never be for other people. I'm a great advocate for that. I don't think you should ever write music for someone else to feel something unless you know that person well. Um, or you're searching for that person that will understand it. Um, I don't think you should make music to make people like it. Um, ever. Uh, it. For example, like if I personally wrote a song for my wife that that's okay because i know her enough like i would know myself um and so then it'd be a, a, in a way writing for myself um or if i'm writing for someone out there that i hope understands something i'm saying then in a way i'm writing for a feeling within myself but if i'm writing a song for some teenager i've never met in the suburbs that has an angst problem and i'm just trying to get him to like it I hate you. <laughs> like, that's so rude. It, like, um, emotionally, that's just abusive to the kid. Like, you don't actually care about them or anything they're feeling or understand what they're going through. And now you're giving them some meaningless product to project to that has no depth. That one day when they research that feeling and re listen to that song, they realize how freaking empty it was and it's pointless. And it's like, you're giving this poor kid something with no substance that he's going to remember for a long time and attach to and then learn nothing from. Hmm. It's just dark. 
Mm-hmm. So then what, what, why do you create? The reason I have always created um, since forever was I had such an issue being able to feel like anyone can understand anyone via words. I never thought my vocabulary was great enough or that there would ever be enough words in the English language for me to tell someone something in a way I wanted to. I, I, I do think there are other languages such as like German and um and Russian and parts of Chinese that really emote well, but English doesn't. Um, and because I, I, I have, so I have schizophrenia and um, it, it was always such a difficult task to explain to someone what that was like. And from an early age, whenever I'd listen to music that really I felt had finally hit an emotion that I was trying to explain, but I couldn't, I would just start bawling. I still do it. I'll just start crying while walking my dog. If I, if I hear the right song, like every other day, I'm, I'm not even kidding. Um, and so I, I make music because I think it's the best music. Like, I think I write the best music in the world. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying for other people, but for myself. Like, I think I've written the perfect song for Def Cat. Like, I will like it more than anyone else in the entire world will. And because it's all about my own emotions. Um, I wrote a song called uh, The Man Who Fell From Earth. Um, all about the most, like, jarring experience I've ever had where it felt like gravity shut off for me. Like, I felt like the the most comfortable thing you can possibly have is the knowledge that you won't float up. (laughs) Hmm. And I had a really seriously uh, messed up moment early 2019 um, that led me into a court case um, and a bunch of other awful stuff. But uh, that, that experience felt like the just gravity letting go. And so I wrote a song just all about that experience. Um, Almost all my music's like that. Um, And then I guess the only other half to why I write music is when I'm helping write music for a film or a game, I'll see something the director desperately wants people to understand and and needs help connecting it. And I love being the person that gets to to do that for them. Hmm. That's dope, man. Yeah. So I just... I had one um, really serious um, adventure with that lately where we're doing a game based off Dante's Inferno and there's this really emotional section and the director was getting really angry about not knowing how to visualize it. And I said, well, just let the screen fade to black and have some music play over it. And uh, during our script reading, he, uh, he teared up for it and that felt great to help someone experience an emotion they weren't able to. Hmm. Yeah, man. Music is a, it always surprised me how powerful it can be. Um, Completely separate from visual or paired with visual. It's a, yeah, man, like the right song when it hits the, that chord. And, uh... Yeah, I the most recent venture 
with a song doing that properly that I think everyone who has ever played any game should go listen to right now um, is Chris Christodoulou. I hope I said his name right. Um, Con Letitude Poderosa, I think is how you say it. Um, the 18th track on the Risk of Rain 2 album. Um, and it is an homage to the song Coalescence, the final level song in Risk of Rain 1. And uh, at... 4 a.m. a week ago, finishing the game, I hit the final level and just started bawling. That song just, I could barely finish the level. It was so, so amazing. Um, I'm Kingdom Hearts 2 does that at the end of its game. I, when I was like eight years old, I bawled my eyes out to that game at the end when a song hit well. Um, there's, yeah. There's just so much that a uh, music can pack in for an experience. Mm. Very true. Well, hey man, I, I appreciate you uh, sharing some some music knowledge, and yeah, it's been been a great conversation. Oh, yeah, no, it was, it was wonderful to have uh, questions about these kind of things. I don't get to talk about it much. <laughs> yeah, no, anytime. Can you uh, kind of share maybe some of the uh, projects you're working on, or where people can find your work. Sure. Uh, right now, I just finished Cosmos, The Escape from Freedom. Um, that's out on Spotify and everywhere else possible. And um, right now on my Patreon, I am uploading all of the demos for Grimm, my newest soundtrack with these like eight to 10 minute long, huge orchestral scores. So that that's a doozy. Um, so yeah, if you just go to look up Def Cat, You'll find me anywhere. A quick Google search will pull up my page. You know, message me. I'm I'm on Twitter. I love I love talking with people. <laughs> right on. I'll be sure to leave some links in the show notes. Wonderful. Well, thank you for having me.